0: how you are listening to the A Thousand Lives Broadcast, the premier podcast for all things related to Christian missions in China. This is Austin, your host and missionary with the Vision for China team. For information about our Vision for China team and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. That's visionforchina.org. There you're going to find a slew of resources to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends, as well as to assess how you can better aim your life at making Jesus known in China, whether that be by praying, sending, or even going as a missionary. And if you haven't already, remember to subscribe and or follow the podcast on your favorite podcast. Platform with push notifications turned on to never miss an episode of the broadcast. You can always check out visionforchina.org/podcast. That's visionforchina.org/podcast for an up-to-date directory of which platforms were found on. If you have any friends interested in China missions or both that might enjoy the podcast, be sure to let them know what the A Thousand Lives broadcast is all about. We with Vision for China firmly believe that Jesus is worthy of being made much of in China, and trust that if we aim our lives at making much of Him, both there and around the world, we have no need to. Fear or language barriers, culture barriers, persecution, or any other obstacles, because just as he himself said in Matthew 28, he will be with us always, even unto the end of the world. Well, some listeners may already be aware that a few weeks ago, I was privileged to be interviewed by my friends MCG and Jay on the Removing Barriers podcast. The stated goal of the Removing Barriers podcast is we are attempting to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross. The podcast has been going strong for about two years now, and I really enjoyed connecting with MCG and Jay. While I was on the podcast, we got to discuss China, Chinese culture, my family's plans for the mission field, and much, much more, and I had an absolute blast doing it. MCG and Jay were a pleasure to get to know, and I was immensely blessed to have the opportunity to share the vision that the Lord has given me for ministry in China with them and their audience. If you haven't listened already, I would encourage you to do so by visiting removingbarriers.net slash podcast. That's removingbarriers.net slash podcast. Once you're there, you can find episode number 94, entitled On the Mission Field with Missionary Austin, to listen to my interview. As we were preparing to record the podcast, I believe it was MCG that mentioned swapping episodes between podcasts uh, as a way to give each other's audience a taste of what the other podcast is like. So, for today's podcast here on the A Thousand Lives broadcast, I'm excited to let you listen in to one of their past episodes from there on the Removing Barriers podcast. Podcast. So in this episode, they actually interviewed a friend of mine, Pastor Josh Levesque, who has recently planted a church in Dearborn, Michigan, which is a city known as the Islamic capital of the United States. I have met Brother Josh on a few different occasions leading up to him moving to Dearborn to start the church, and I was excited when I learned that MCG&J interviewed him on their podcast. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview, and if you like what you hear, I would encourage you to listen in to many of the other interviews and conversations on the Removing Barriers podcast, as well as look up Pastor Levesque and learn more about his ministry in Dearborn, Michigan, to the large Muslim population there.
1: I've talked to some pastors in the region who have said they've seen as many as a dozen churches close or leave the city in the past 20 years. Gospel preaching churches. And it's a city where there are empty church buildings, churches that have been turned into mosques. It's a place where people have said, why in the world are you going there (laughs) to plant a church? And I remind myself that the church works everywhere. And last time I checked, Dearborn, Michigan wasn't the gates of hell.
2: Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross.
3: This is episode 76 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And this is the fifth in the series of On the Mission Field. And in this episode, we'll be going on the mission field, but we will not be going very far. Pastor Josh Levesque is joining us from Dearborn, Michigan, in the United States. Pastor Josh, it's a pleasure and welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast.
1: Hello, thank you so much for including me. I'm glad to be on.
3: Great. Thank you for placing us in a busy schedule. All right, let's dive right into it, Pastor Josh. Tell us about yourself, your calling, your family, whatever you feel comfortable sharing.
1: Yeah, so my name is Josh Levesque and I'm married. I have three children who are all in bed right now, so that's the only quiet we get around here, (laughs) but... I am a born and raised Michigander, and my father was a church planter. He started a church when I was two years old. So I grew up in a pastor's home, and a ministry home, and I grew up in a church plant. I got to experience that firsthand and always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to use my life to spread the gospel. I wasn't quite sure how that would look, but I accepted Christ at an early age. I was saved at seven and surrendered my life to ministry shortly thereafter and was always on that trajectory. But when it came time for college, I pursued my passion of computer science and programming. I thought, hey, this is a way that God could use me. And uh, I was kind of trying to chart my course there, mainly because I didn't want to preach. I was very introverted, still am, but didn't see myself doing that. And took about halfway through my college years at Pensacola Christian College. uh, Lord redirected me to pastoral ministry. I started to preach and uh, Lord really changed my direction, changed my desires. Preaching is now my favorite thing in the world. Mm -hmm. It's the most amazing thing I get to do. And he's given me amazing opportunities to preach all over the place. And I'm very thankful for those opportunities that I've had. But after graduating as a pastoral major, I had the opportunity to go on staff at my home church and I served there for nearly six years as an assistant pastor before the Lord really directed us on this journey of church planting.
2: Amen. I am so happy, Pastor, that I get to speak to someone who's born and raised in Michigan. We homeschool our kids. And right now, we're going through the different demonyms for each state. So what do you call someone that's from a particular state? And when it came to Michigan, we were like, is it Michiganian? Is it Michigander? Which one is it? And you, being born and raised in Michigan, said Michigander. So now we know exactly what the right demonym is. And I'm so glad. Yeah,
1: Michiganian is a common mistake. It's Michigander.
2: Michigander. Got it. Great. How long have you been on the mission field, Pastor?
1: Well, I'd say as far as in Dearborn here, we've been working our way to Dearborn for about two years now, but we officially moved to Dearborn back in July of 2021. So we've been here nearly a year and we've had a great start to the work here and great start to the church plant. So we have already made it home. We have a nice place here and the Lord has blessed us. And so we are at home on the mission field.
3: Man, solve the mystery for us, Pastor. Some people call it being on the mission field, some people call it church planting. Yeah. Do you call yourself a church planter or a missionary? And why, if you have a difference?
1: Yeah, I'll use both terms. Some people use the term missionary to exclusively mean someone who takes the gospel across some cultural or geographic barriers, which I believe is part of what we're doing here in Dearborn. There are definitely cultural barriers to be dealt with. So it is mission work in that sense, but I take a simpler approach to the even the term missionary. I've always defined a missionary as a Christian on a mission. And Amen. so any Christian who accepts the Great Commission as their purpose in life is a missionary. And I think we should all be missionaries and mission-minded. I do particularly favor the term church planter, though, because that is what I believe the fruit of the Great Commission is. Ultimately, should be result in local churches. And so our aim here is mission work, but the goal is to plant a church.
3: Amen. A much wiser person than me said that every Christian... Is a missionary and every an unsafe person is a mission for you. Definitely see that. Yeah. So, how long have you known the Lord? You said you got saved when you were seven. You don't have to tell us your age, but. <laughs> yeah, I was seven years old and I'm only 28.
1: So, a large majority of my life, but I've known the Lord since then. It was in the year 2000 that I accepted Christ and remember it like it was yesterday. Even at a young age, a transforming experience for me to realize I always believed in God. That was never a question, but I realized that I was a sinner and that I was in need of a savior and that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me and that I needed to accept that. I remember when all those dots kind of connected for me and I called on
3: Christ to save me. Amen. Any wavering in your teenage years? A lot of folks we interview got saved when they're young and then they waver in their teenage years. Any of that for you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that's common and that's the result of, you know, childlike faith is enough to be saved. At that point, I didn't know everything. I didn't understand the workings of salvation. I didn't know a single thing about what we'd call Soteriology or any of the doctrine behind how I got saved. I just knew the gospel and that's enough to be saved. But as I began to learn and began to hear, you know, other people's testimonies and all these things, I started to doubt perhaps that what I did when I was seven years old wasn't enough. Like, did I know enough? Did I do it right? Is that it? And it was really through my study of the scriptures, the study of doctrines that really gave me that assurance of my salvation. Kind of when I was a senior in high school and started to deal with some of those doubts, but through my own investigation, came to the conclusion that absolutely was salvation, and that salvation is that simple. It's all it needed was faith, and that that was present, and that I understood the things necessary to be saved, and so I always have held on to my seven-year-old salvation. Mm-hmm. Amen.
2: I think that's great, Pastor. Many well-intentioned, well-meaning teachers and preachers will tell someone who's doubting their salvation, who's having trouble with assurance, oh, you know, you just need to you know, look back in your Bible on the date that you said a prayer and go back and just kind of put your faith in that date. That's when you know you got saved. And you're saying you went back and you studied the doctrines. You studied what thus saith the Lord about your salvation. That's what our faith is penned on. And so I think that's really great. I'm glad you said that. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some people say, oh, you should be able to go back and circle a date on the calendar. I don't think everybody has that, especially if they were saved young. Right. And some people, it's not as much of a big, memorable date, but it ought to be a memorable experience. Even if you can't circle a date on the calendar, I advise people, I think you should be able to go and circle the place where you were, the moment that you were in time in your memory, because it is a transformative experience. It's something that you should remember.
2: Yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah, definitely.
2: So where in Michigan is Dearborn?
1: Dearborn is basically West Detroit. So we share like three borders with Detroit right on the west side. So we're about 15 minutes from, you know, downtown Detroit. So real close there.
3: Did you grow up a big Pistons fan?
1: Oh, yeah. 2004 Pistons is the greatest team to ever exist.
3: <laughs> I don't know about that, but you had the Wallace, Ben Wallace, Washid Wallace. Oh, yeah. Tashawn yeah. Prince, Rep yeah. Hamilton.
1: Oh, yeah. That was the team. I still got all the cards. Chanty
3: Billup. Don't let yeah. me forget that one. <laughs> you got it. Oh, brother.
2: <laughs> For the rest of the audience that have no idea what's going on right now, they're talking about sports. <laughs>
3: well, the only reason I remember that team so well is because they beat the Lakers, which Oh, yeah. I was opposed to any team that was going against the Lakers. So,
1: yeah, definitely. It's a great time. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) All right. Tell us about Dearborn, because the first time I've heard about Dearborn was on the news and they described Dearborn was that this is the Muslim or the Islamic capital of the United States. Tell us about Dearborn, the people, the population. And is what we're hearing on the news true? Is this the Islamic capital of the United States?
1: I definitely think it's fair to say that. I would say that Dearborn can hold that title. Wow. But Dearborn's significant in a number of ways. Being here in Detroit, it's the hometown of Henry Ford. And so it really is the town that Ford built. The Ford Motor Company is headquartered here in mm-hmm. Dearborn. Large Ford assembly plant. All the F-150s roll out of here. And so it's a significant cultural place. I mean, the invention of the automobile happened here. Oh, wow. And so it's kind of a monument to that American spirit. The Henry Ford Museum and things are here in the city. And so it's a city that gets a lot of tourism. There's a lot of industry. There are a lot of business and things that goes on here. But because of some of the influence of Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company, Dearborn became a hub of immigration. I mean, all the way back to the turn of the century, 1910s, 1920s. And it kind of became a bit of an enclave of Arab culture and just grew from there. People wonder like, why Dearborn, of all places, why Detroit doesn't seem like the place that would end up having such a large Arab population. But that's kind of where it started. But today, Dearborn is a city of 110,000. It is, I believe, like the sixth largest city in Michigan and kind of the heart of Metro Detroit down here. But even of that population, nearly 50%, I would argue over 50% of that population are of Arab ancestry. So you're talking about some 50,000 Arab peoples, and we're talking Arab Americans, and that's a pretty wide group of people. That's, you know, people from Lebanon and Syria and Jordan, Palestinian, Egyptian. And so I think. Pretty much the whole Middle Eastern map is represented here in Dearborn. It's a very diverse group of people. But because of that population, Islam has become the dominant religious presence here in Dearborn, and that's pretty evident if you drive through the city. When I first became aware of Dearborn and started looking at it through the eyes of a church planter, I started counting mosques. That was my first thing. I counted 14 mosques here in the city, and and geographically, Dearborn is only about six miles across. It's not huge geographically. It's very dense in population, but some 14 mosques at least, including the Islamic Center of America, which claims to be North America's largest mosque, it's here in Dearborn. And in my counting, I didn't come across a single independent Baptist church.
3: Oh, wow. wow. Oh, that's sobering.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was eye-opening.
3: Yeah. So the religious breakdown, you say that about 51% of the population is probably Islam. What about the rest, 49, 48 percent?
1: Yeah, so 50 percent Arab is majority Muslim. There is a population here of people that would call themselves Christian, but that's more of an orthodox Christianity. Mm -hmm. There are some different forms of it. From Lebanon, you have like the Marianite Christians. So it's more Catholic-leaning Christianity amongst many of the Arab peoples. But you have some Arabs who are Roman Catholic. And that is the second dominant force here in Dearborn after Islam would be Roman Catholicism, and there is a small evangelical presence. But as far as institutional Christianity, as far as actual churches in operation, you pretty much were down to your mainline denominations, you know, your Lutherans and your United Methodists and Presbyterian Church. The Baptist presence was all but gone here in the city of Dearborn itself.
2: Wow. You know, as you're describing the religious makeup of the people of Dearborn, it's interesting to me because from what I understand, for the most part, Anyone who is Muslim, when you ask them what is Christianity, their idea of Christianity is the Roman Catholic faith. And we spoke to a missionary who is serving overseas in the Middle East, and he said that whatever America does, that's what their part of the country considers to be Christian, which is obviously a misrepresentation of the true biblical gospel. And so you pretty much have your work cut out for you, it sounds like. When did the Lord first burden you about the souls in Dearborn and the need for a true gospel witness there?
1: Yeah, so being a Michigander, I grew up always aware of Dearborn. Mm -hmm. And as a student in Michigan, you make your semi-annual pilgrimage to the Ford Museum. Every student does it. (laughs) And so I knew what Dearborn was, I knew where Dearborn was, and everybody knows the reputation of Dearborn, that it's a Muslim city or that it's an Arab city. And as I became increasingly aware of the real presence and strength of Islam, not just in Dearborn, but all over Michigan and Lansing and in Saginaw mm-hmm. and in Flint, where I was originally from. I started to see it growing and spreading and that kind of drew my attention to Dearborn itself. I studied the city in college a little bit, always kind of had my eye on it. And it wasn't until two summers ago in a revival meeting, as we were praying for the revival of the state of Michigan, that some people in the meeting started to pray for Dearborn. You know, they didn't know my background and you know the fact that I had kind of studied and had a heart for the city, and, and they began to pray that the Lord would send somebody there. And I was in this meeting, <laughs> and they prayed that the Lord would send a church planner and that we would see a church established in Dearborn. It was really just the Holy Spirit leading that, and really, what well, was the moment that I said, "I'll I'll look into this. I'll you know, Lord, if nobody else would go,
3: I'll go." Amen. Yeah, that's definitely a bold and courage of submission because you know, much like Isaiah, when you say, "Lord, here, might send me." What are some things that folks should keep in mind? If they want to serve the Lord in Dearborn.
1: Yeah. Dearborn gets a bad rap a lot of the times. And a lot of what I've done is try to break some of the misconceptions of Dearborn. Dearborn really is a beautiful city. And there are a lot of wonderful people. And some of the best reception we've gotten are actually from the Arab people here. They're very kind, very loving. They're wonderful neighbors, usually willing to have a conversation, talk about religion. I can't even tell you how many times going door to door I've been invited in for lunch, given water, given tea. It's been the norm, which I've gotten worse reception everywhere else I've gone, in my hometown, other places. People won't open the door. People you know, are rude. We haven't found that here in Dearborn. We've found the opposite to be true, and there is an open door here, and it's a good place to live. It's a wonderful place to do ministry, and I think it's an an essential place to do ministry. I think we absolutely need to have a, a presence here. The gospel needs to be preached here. It's an amazing opportunity. Dearborn gets compared to the Middle East, but it's not the Middle East. It's Michigan. It's the United States of America. Hmm. And we have all the freedom necessary to preach the gospel, plant a church, to go door to door to give out Bibles. You can't do that in Middle Eastern countries, but you can do it here. And you can do it without a lot of fear. And so I try to remind people of that. We have uh, an amazing opportunity right here in our backyard with all the freedom that we need to preach the gospel and start a church and in a truly Arab community.
2: I love that you say that, Pastor. We were going to ask you, is Dearborn that much different from the rest of the United States? One would think that if 50% of the population has some sort of Arab heritage or culture or background, that, you know, the whole place would be like a Middle Eastern country. But you've described to us what sounds to be a great opportunity to share the gospel with people who don't know And it doesn't sound like Dearborn is that much different from the rest of the U.S. We might point fingers and say, oh, well, you know, all of the Muslim or Arab people or Arab descendant people there, but then in our own backyards, we're filled with people who don't know the gospel, who don't know the Lord, who are just as lost as anybody else who has not received Christ. And it sounds like you're saying that Dearborn is just another town in the U.S. where it's filled with unsafe people, and it's an opportunity for Christians to go and engage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a unique place. I mean, On top of being a center of Arab culture and a center of Islam in the country. I mean, you said it's called the headquarters of Islam. I think that's true. I think it's the only majority Islamic city in the United States. Well, maybe other Hamtramck, Detroit, or Dearborn Heights, (laughs) but in this area, that's pretty prevalent and that's unique. But what we have is an amazing opportunity, like I said, to preach the gospel in this place and, you know, see it spread to other places. And I hope that the things that we are able to learn. And here in Dearborn, we can take to other places because Islam is is growing all around the country, and we want to be prepared to be able to share the gospel with our neighbors, share the gospel with the people in our community. And Dearborn is just a—it's another city. We found a headquarters, a place where Islam is, but what we also found is a city of over a hundred thousand people without an active Baptist church, mm-hmm. and that ought not be the case. I think anywhere in the United States, every community should have a gospel preaching church that is active, and nobody should live and breathe in the United States and not have an opportunity to hear the gospel for themselves. And places like Dearborn and a lot of our cities around the United States, that's not the case. Somebody can be born, raised, go to school, go to college, get a job, get a career, and never have somebody present the gospel to them. And our goal is that that wouldn't happen here in Dearborn.
2: Amen. As you're speaking, Pastor, I just wanted to ask something that I'm curious as to what you might say. You know, as Christians, I don't want to paint us all with a wide brush, but we're typically conservative politically. Do you find that it's a struggle when you're trying to talk to Christians about engaging the Muslim population? Of course, the conservative position toward Islam is not the same as the Christian position to Islam in the sense that as Christians, we want to reach them for Christ, we want to engage them, whereas the conservative would probably deal with them with a sort of standoffish sort of hey, these people are dangerous, let's not engage with them attitude. Do you find as a pastor, when you're trying to encourage other Christians to engage, do you find it difficult to overcome the conservatism so that we could see the souls behind the ideology? Do you struggle with that at all?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in answer to the political question, the Islam issue is a heavily political one. And like I said, a lot of what we've done is try to face a lot of the misconception. And a lot of people have this idea of Muslim Built up into their mind into something that is scary. It's intimidating. And you asked if, you know, Dearborn feels like a foreign country. And in some places, it does. It really does. The Arab culture has, you know, affected it in such a way that it does feel foreign and it can be very intimidating. There are high barriers of culture. There are high barriers of language. It can be an intimidating place to do ministry, some parts of the city. And a lot of people have written Dearborn off for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And I've confronted a lot of, and met a lot of people who have this idea of, of, Hey, if they want Dearborn, let them have it.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. wow.
1: Which is not a Christian mindset. It's right. not a missionary mindset. I think we absolutely ought to come to Dearborn and we do it not out of hate. We don't have anything against Muslim people. We do it out of love. We love Muslim people, especially those that have come to America, you know, mm-hmm. because we love our country too. And we want everyone here to, understand the gospel. That's part of our passion. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there is a political barriers that are put up, and I would encourage people to put their gospel glasses on over that Mm -hmm. and see people for the souls that they are. I fully agree. We look at the world stage. Islam has been an enemy to the United States. Islam has been an enemy to Christianity in general, but you cannot put that on every single person that comes here to the U.S. especially. That's right many of them are very patriotic Americans, and they love America like you love America. It can't necessarily paint with a broad brush that way. So even just living here and meeting a lot of people has helped change some of the misconceptions I had.
3: Is there a call for prayer in many Muslim cities around the world They normally have? What do you call it?
1: Yeah, that's a call to prayer.
3: Call to it's prayer. A-
1: yeah, call to prayer. Yeah, so there's a couple places in Dearborn that will have a call to prayer. One mosque that I've Heard on the, the south end of Dearborn. And then there's another mosque in Hamtramck, Michigan, which is just kind of over the other side of Detroit. So there are some places that do that. And I've even just come across it culturally. I mean, a lot of people recognize it. And, you know, even if there's no audible call, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're religious and you can tell that they are.
3: Yeah. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper into the culture there in Dearborn. Would you say it is more of an Acts chapter two where people have more of a concept of who God is? of creation and stuff like that, or is more like an Acts chapter 17, where the people don't know God, it's through the unknown God. How would you fit the culture of their Yeah,
1: I'd say probably like anywhere else, you have a little bit of both, but predominantly Islam in general would be more of an Acts chapter 2, uh, when you're talking about, you know, the Jewish people, as much as Jews and Muslims have been, you know, enemies and you would think are the opposites of each other. Culturally, they're actually very much the same when it comes to worldview, very similar thinking. And so we actually share some common ground when talking with a Muslim person. They do believe in God. They do believe that there's only one God. They do believe that God created the earth. Those are essential foundations that you kind of have to lay with what you would call an Acts 17 or a Greek thinking culture. But that ground doesn't necessarily need to be laid as much with a Muslim person. With a Muslim person, it all comes down to who is Jesus. And uh, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And so I'm by no means an expert on Islam or apologetics. I've done my fair share of studying and learning, but I've just tried to keep it simple and focus on the heart of the matter, which is the person of Jesus Christ.
2: If you were to describe some of the needs that if filled would make the task of sharing the gospel in Dearborn, Michigan, easier, what would those needs be?
1: Yeah, so I'd say generally there's a need for laborers, and that's been one of our prayers. When I surrendered to go to Dearborn, one of the first things I asked the Lord for is that we wouldn't do it alone, that we would have co-laborers to come here and strive together with us. And the Lord has answered that call, and we have a number of families who have come here with us and have committed to help in this endeavor. And I've met a number of others here in the city, Christian people, who have the same heart and burden and you know want to be a part of this work, but I'd say that there's room for more. And Dearborn is a place that you know, can probably take all the missionaries it could get. So we are certainly praying for more laborers, that the Lord would raise them up in our midst, Mm -hmm. raise them up right here in Dearborn, but that even others might come that have a burden to maybe do Islamic ministry, maybe do church planting. It's a very unique opportunity that we have here in Dearborn to do both in a very influential place. And then beyond that, we are praying that the Lord would continue to grow our church and that we would be able to find a permanent home here in the city i'd say if we have one need one thing that would really open up our opportunities it would be a church home right now we meet in a hotel and that's very limiting in many ways as far as space and time and cost so we're praying and we're asking god to show us where that step might be we're saving and raising money to be prepared to take that step it's very expensive here in the city get real estate or to do construction or anything so we're praying and we're preparing
2: Pastor, what are some of the difficulties that are unique to reaching the lost in Dearborn?
1: Definitely what's unique in Dearborn is going to be that barrier of cultural Mm -hmm. Islam. You know, many people will claim to be Muslim as part of their identity. It is not just what they believe, it is who they are. And anyone who's ministered in a Muslim context will tell you that there are some higher barriers for an Islamic person to even consider the gospel. And once the gospel has been considered, to make that step of faith. And I've known missionaries and friends who have labored for years in Muslim context without a convert. And that's the reality that we face. It's a long game. It's a game of patience. It's a game of perseverance. It's gonna be about building relationships and building a lot of trust here in this city in order to be able to have fruitful gospel ministry.
3: Amen. While well, you're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. We're sitting down with Pastor Josh, missionary or church planter to Dearborn, Michigan. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Did you know that you could find us on Twitter, Gab, Parlor, Facebook, and Reddit? Go to removingbarriers.net slash contact and like and follow us on social media. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross.
3: Well, Pastor, let's go into a little bit of a fun section. Find out some of your favorites. What is your favorite scripture verse? Yeah,
1: so I have a lot of them, and give us a few. Most of the verses that I have claimed or would say are life verses come from the Book of Romans, and I would say one fifteen that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation, and that's always been a motivator for me not to be ashamed mm-hmm. and not to hide. We want to be a public presence here in Dearborn. I have kind of known some to come and do some kind of, you know, undercover work. And that's not what we came here to do. We want people to know who we are and what we believe and be bold, courageous. Mm -hmm. And so that verse has always motivated me. And then on Romans 15, verse 20, Paul describes his passion, his ambition, we could say, was to preach Christ where he had not been named. He wanted to, you know, he would say remove barriers. He wanted to go to new places. He wanted to pioneer. He wanted to break new ground. And that's a real an apostolic mission and I think that's the heart of church planting. It's the idea to go to a new place and to start something new, to go to a place where perhaps the work has been abandoned and pick up the mantle and you know confront the giants in the community. And so it's a pioneering work and it's something that you can really give your life to. That ambition of Paul's has always been a, a motivator for me as well.
2: What is your favorite? bible history some people call it a bible story but we hate to use that word because we don't think the bible has any stories in it it's all history what's your favorite biblical historical account
1: yeah so i'd say right now the one that i've attached myself to in a personal way is that of moses and the burning bush i've preached it a lot that's not why i grew the beard but <laughs> if it helps me be moses then it helps me but i do love the person of moses the account of the burning bush and particularly the lord's God's words through that bush you know Moses met with God that day and God described his passion and his burden for the children of Israel that God was aware of the suffering he was aware of everything they were going through and but he reveals that he had a plan to alleviate that suffering he had a plan to liberate them from bondage and then he told Moses you're the plan <laughs> you're the man you're going to go I'm going to do this but you're going to go tell them and so Moses got to be in that privileged position of being the messenger of liberty. Like Jesus said, his mission on this earth was to proclaim liberty to the captives. And, you know, that's what we all get to do. We get to go and tell people in bondage how to be free. And what better thing in the world is there than that?
3: Since you mentioned the beard, let's detour a little bit. Why the (laughs) beard? You know, usually most people in independent fundamental Baptist realm don't have such a should I say a man beard like what you have there? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was something I always wanted. I always wanted to grow a beard and I never had the opportunity to. I, you know, went to, you know, Christian school, had to shave with Christian college, had to shave. And my summer job, I worked asbestos abatement. I had to wear a respirator. So I always had to be clean shaven. So once I got out of college and everything, I'm like, all right, it's time. I'm going to let it go. And I actually started growing the beard when I had an opportunity to go to the Middle East, which unfortunately was COVID canceled like everything else in 2020, mm-hmm. but the beard stuck and it's part of me now.
3: I thought you were just going to say, man, I grew up. That's all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They say there's two kinds of people in the world that don't have beards. It's uh, women and children.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. I've never heard that before. That's I really funny. Call it, I won't cause any more trouble. <laughs> 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 what is the most convicting scripture passage to you?
1: Ooh, wow. Most convicting scripture passage to me. Okay. One that has always been Convicting to me, and maybe in a unique way, is, you know, actually from a parable when Jesus was recounting the idea that to whom much is given, much shall be required. Mm -hmm. That verse has always weighed heavily on my heart and my mind. And for the reason that I've been given so much, God has been so good to me. And I've been so privileged to have the family that I did, have godly parents, to grow up in church. I, I got to go to Christian school. I've learned the Bible before I could speak. And God has given that to me. And I feel that there is a burden placed on me, a responsibility to steward all of that and to do something great for God because he's done so many great things for me.
2: Amen. What is the most comforting scripture of passage or verse for you?
1: The flip side, the mm-hmm. other side of the coin here. As a church planter, I have to say that the verse that I've attached myself to as a comfort is from the gospel of Matthew, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, uh, you know, Dearborn, Michigan is a unique place. It's a place where, you know, I've talked to some pastors in the region who have said they've seen as many as a dozen churches close or leave the city in the past 20 years. Gospel preaching churches. And it's a city where there are empty church buildings, churches that have been turned into mosques. It's a place where people have said, why in the world are you going there (laughs) to plant a church? And I remind myself that the church works everywhere. Mm -hmm. And last time I checked, Dearborn, Michigan wasn't the gates of hell. It's a great place. And it's a place full of people that need the gospel. And Jesus Christ promised he'd build his church anywhere. And so he can do it here. What is your favorite hymn of the faith? Favorite hymn of the faith? So many wonderful ones. We've been enjoying singing hymns in the church plant and sung some great ones. I see you asked me about if I ever had doubts about my salvation. And one of the things that when I was praying over that and asking God to help me understand and to be sure was the hymn, Blessed Assurance. And I even remember that at that time when I was just praying asking God to help me, it was actually that hymn that came to my mind and the words that Jesus is mine, oh, to a foretaste of glory divine. I have eternal life right now. And so I've always loved that hymn. Every time I sing it, I think of that moment where Christ really gave me that assurance to know that I'm never going to die. I'm going to live forever because eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you're saved. And so we already have that.
2: Who is your favorite giant of the faith from the scriptures?
1: From the scriptures? Well, I already told you about my affinity for Moses. So I'll tell you about my other favorite bearded (laughs) Bible character is John the Baptist. And I've been preaching on John the Baptist. I really associate a lot with him. And, you know, he received high praise from Jesus. His single verse mantra of he must increase, I must decrease has really become a mission statement of mine. And it gives place for ambition and Christ must increase. That's what my life is about. I want more people to know about Jesus than ever before. And so we can be ambitious, but it's on the flip side, I must decrease. And so it's ambition, but it's not ambition for myself. It's Mm -hmm. ambition for Christ. No self-ambition. And so John the Baptist has been an inspiring character to me and someone that I look up to and emulate.
2: Thank you so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Make sure to rate us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross.
3: What are some of the biggest barriers to the people of Dearborn? You say you go knock on doors and they invite you in and stuff like that. When you start talking to them and expounding the gospel, What are some of the biggest barriers you see that they may manifest within them from them receiving the gospel, making that final step?
1: Yeah, if we're talking specifically about Islam, there are some particular barriers. And across Dearborn as well, you get a lot of spiritual apathy, which is the norm in modern culture and in America. People that just really don't care. They haven't thought about those things. That's there. But when it comes particularly to Islam and to Muslim people, Islam is, like I said, it's a culture. It's an identity. And so, it's a hard thing for people to think outside the context of. And inside of Islam, they have their own lines of apologetics against the scriptures, against Jesus. And so, many of the people who have been willing to talk have come at me with some ready responses. And so, it's a hard thing. You know, think about how hard it would be for someone to convince you to walk away from Christ. I -hmm. mean, that's how ingrained many Muslim people are, and they truly do believe. They're very religious. So that's a, a hard thing to do. It's something that takes time and ultimately is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit that's going to get us past some of those barriers here in Dearborn.
3: Yeah. Tell us by maybe specifics of the gospel or going into the gospel, how can those barriers be ultimately removed?
1: Yeah. So it's something that we're praying for. And, you know, I ask everybody just pray for Dearborn if you think of it, pray for us here. And Christ said that the Holy Spirit would do the work of convincing the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that first step, convincing the world of sin, is something that is in the hearts and minds of people already. But when I ask people to pray, I like specific prayers. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I believe sometimes we have not because we ask not, even though we're praying because we don't pray specifically. We have a way of praying without asking for anything. And mm. so when we pray, ask ask for what you want. Ask what you want to see happening. And so I say pray in this way. Pray that The Holy Spirit would do its work of convincing the men and women of Dearborn of their sinfulness. That's the first step of their need for a Savior, of their separation from God. And that's barrier number one. And then secondly, of righteousness, that they would be convinced of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the authority of the scriptures and the deity of Jesus Christ. And then of judgment of their personal need to accept Jesus Christ on behalf of their sins. And we as Christians understand this process to be the gospel. You know, this is how someone is saved. And yet every single one of those steps is a barrier unto itself. Every single one of those steps is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit supernaturally in someone's mind and in someone's heart. And so these are the walls that are keeping people from the gospel. These are the barriers. And so we can only preach the gospel. We can do what we've been commanded to do. And the Holy Spirit does the rest.
3: Amen. Pastor Josh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about removing barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.
0: Well, you have been listening to MCG and J over at the Removing Barriers podcast interview Pastor Josh Levesque. Again, if you like what you heard, I would encourage you to head on over to removingbarriers.net to learn more about the Removing Barriers podcast and listen in to their many other episodes and interviews. And with that, today's episode of the A Thousand Lives broadcast is a wrap. Thank you all for listening in and letting others know that Jesus is worthy of being made much of in China. This has been Austin, your host and missionary with the Vision for China team. For more- more information about our Vision for China team and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. There you're going to find a slew of resources to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends as well as to assess how you can better aim your life at making Jesus known in China, whether that be by praying, sending, or even going as a missionary. Well, until next time, 再见.